Hello everyone and welcome back to Dialogue Not Division. This is our third episode just titled A Perfect Example. Wow, it's been a great week. So much to talk about, so much. Uh, but today what we're really going to be focusing on is, one, it's the perfect example of how not to discuss politics with some little glimmers of good stuff in there. We're also going to talk about trust in media, a little bit about prison reform, and political opportunism, a little bit on both sides. So starting off, I was watching some videos and I just found the perfect example of what we were talking about in the last two episodes of just how to have a conversation between two sides and how not to have a conversation. So this was this was a conversation on ABC's This Week between Senator Rand Paul and George Stephanopoulos. I hope I'm saying that name right. And boy, it was interesting. It got a little bit heated in there. And I just wanted to point out some of the goods and bads from this conversation because it's such a great example of the common pitfalls we talk or we fall into when we talk to each other. And so here, I'm just going to play you the very opening of this and then we'll pause it here and we'll go into what I think about this. Uh, okay, let's start with Senator Rand Paul instead. I think we have some audio problems right there. Uh, Senator Paul, let me begin with a threshold question for you. Uh, this election was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? Oh boy, where do we start with this? So what I thought was most interesting about this was the way Stephanopoulos started off this conversation. Just the little words make a difference. And this one that really stood out to me is, let's start out with a threshold question. So what does threshold imply? To me, what that, that's implying is, I'm gonna draw a line, let's see if you're gonna cross it. So right here you're seeing on, the, on this segment, he's setting him up for kind of, kind of a cross this line, I dare you. Or it could also be interpreted, and it was interpreted by a lot on the right as a, before I even talk to you, Let's make sure you meet this threshold understanding and then we'll move on. Because this segment, from my understanding, at least the uh, lower third there that was up was the Trump impeachment trial to begin. And originally it seemed like they were going to talk with uh, them and Amy Klobuchar and talk more about that. And the very first thing that he starts off with is, I have a threshold question for you. It was not stolen. Can you accept that fact? So I understand where he's coming from here. He's trying to say, this has been a really divisive issue, so can we just accept this and move on? But really that, that wording here is, I have a threshold question. Let's start here. If you agree with my point of view, then we can go on. So right here to me, that was a poor choice of beginning a dialogue with somebody. I would never want to begin it with, I have a threshold question for you. It just straight out of the gate, there was no trying to build rapport. There was no, let's have a discussion about this. To me, it's uh, agree with this and then we'll move on is kind of where he's trying to go there. I understand there's some sensitivity around them wanting to clear the air or make sure people say certain things or not fall into certain things that could cause violence. I understand it's been a very contentious issue. So the intentions here might have been good. But it's a, in my opinion, this is a terrible way to start a conversation 
around something that you know somebody probably doesn't agree with. So what happens next is interesting. I'll play a small clip of that as well, is Rand Paul does okay, even with that terminology, and he kind of goes right into a, an explanation of how he feels. And so I'll play a small clip of that for you here. Well, what I would say is that the debate over whether or not there was fraud should occur. We never had any presentation in court where we actually looked at the evidence. Most of the cases were thrown out uh, for lack of standing, which is a procedural way of not actually hearing the question. There were several states in which the law was changed by the Secretary of State and not the state legislature. To me, those are clearly unconstitutional. And I think there's, a, there's still a chance that those actually do finally work their way up to the Supreme Court. All right, so what you see there is I think Rand Paul did a good job of not getting inflamed by that. This is a threshold question. He also did a good job of not pushing back immediately and getting angry at that question. And he started to rationalize his position there. Really started with a, with a I still think there are some issues that should be looked into, yada, yada, yada. So you'll see that I think overall that was a pretty good response, again, trying to come with understanding and not necessarily just overwhelming him or coming out with anything. And again, he wasn't trying to make any absurd claims. So, so far, it sounds fairly cordial. And as you get into the conversation, it very quickly becomes a little bit more heated. And I'll, I'll play that moment now. Well, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Why can't you say well, I think where President you make, Biden I think, won I a think legitimate you make and fair a election? In, uh, hey, George, 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 where you make a mistake is that people coming from the liberal side like you, you immediately say everything's a lie instead of saying there are two sides to everything. So hopefully you kind of caught that there. The second he said, Republicans believe this because they were fed a lie by the president. So he took a kind of absolute stance to this in saying it was a lie, which doesn't doesn't lend yourself to the other person, the other person seeing you as open to debate or even wanting to listen. There was no I could see how you feel that there was no little concession in there, although I do believe early in the conversation, he did mention that that not all elections were perfect. So there was a small concession in that way. But you can see this the moment he starts talking about fed a big lie. That's really when the conversation starts to change. And then Rand Paul takes offense to that. And he does one thing that I really don't like is he starts talking about this is the problem with the left. And this is where you get into that really splitting into the two sides. He's He's speaking one side versus the other instead of one person to the other. And this is where I think you're starting to more try to play towards perhaps your audience in this one or ramp things up rather than trying to have a good conversation or a productive conversation with uh, George here. He went there. Here are a few other things I did want to point out with some kind of continued prods or different things that George said as the conversation got heated that I really think brought the temperature up. 
Now, let me say, to be clear, I voted to certify the state electors because I think it would be wrong for Congress to overturn that. But at the same time, I'm not willing just to sit here and say, oh, everybody on the Republican side is a liar and there is no fraud. No, there were lots of problems and there were secretaries of state who illegally changed the law and that needs to be fixed. And I'm going to work hard to fix it. And I won't be cowed by people saying, oh, you're a liar. That's the problem with the media today is they say all Republicans are liars and everything we say is a lie. There are two sides to every story. Interview somebody on the other side, but don't insert yourself into the story to say we're all liars because we there, think there's some fraud there, in the there, election. There are, not, there, are not two, there are not two sides to the story. So in that clip, there's several things I wanted to point out. First was that Senator Paul makes a concession at the very beginning. He says, let me be clear. I voted to certify the results. I didn't want to get it in the way of this. So to me, he was giving him a little bit of things, but then he continued on with his kind of hurt comments. Again, really furthering the my side versus your side. And then he took a little jab at George here by saying, you know, normally there would be two sides. You'd bring one person on from each side and they'd talk about it. And then George does, in my mind, the worst thing he could possibly do, as he says, there aren't two sides to this story. Even if you believe that's true, I would highly encourage you not to say that unless it is absolutely 100% clear and there is absolutely nothing, no possible sane person could reach the conclusion they did. And by saying that, it just shows, one, you're not objective, Two, you're not open to hearing any new evidence, and you're saying this case is shut. And right there, that that really escalated the conversation, and it went from there for a little bit. And that's really why I would advise against using that stand, stand of there aren't two sides. The failure to try to understand where the other person's coming and basically just apply, uh, imply that they have absolutely no ground to stand on. Even if you feel that way, it's not conducive to bringing you to, a, a, to an understanding or bringing somebody to your side. All you're really doing is entrenching yourself, and then the response from them is going to be further entrenchment. So if George really did want to win, win uh, Senator Paul over here, I really don't think that this was the best method. And this went on for a little bit, and then you'll see George did something that I think was really smart and I would recommend. Here it is. ...yourself into the story. A journalist I'm, would hear both sides, and there are two sides to this story. I'm, sta I'm standing by facts. There are not two sides to facts. I did not say there, that this was a perfect election. I said it was. the results were certified. I said it was not stolen. It is You're a saying lie to people say people are liars. You're stolen. saying people are liars if they want to investigate what happened in the election. Should That's we not investigate what I said. the fact that tens of thousands of absentee ballots did not have addresses on them and normally were disqualified, but this time they were counted? Should we examine that? I don't know whether it affected the election or not, but I have an open mind. And if we actually examine this, we find out it didn't, that's fine, but it still should be fixed. There, there can be more investigations. The investigations that have taken place have shown there was... So in that clip, you hear Stephanopoulos double down on what he said by saying that, that he's standing by facts. There are not two sides to facts. And uh, moving on, one thing I want to say about that is... If you think there aren't two sides to facts and it's a fairly hot topic issue, you're probably only looking at the facts that 
support your side. And I would, again, remind you to check that confirmation we bias we talked about in last episode. Now, Rand Paul here, he kind of tries to go into... He goes and does a good thing in that he brought up some facts in that he said there are X many of these. They didn't have addresses. Normally these would be uh, done. Sometimes they won't. What I'm asking to do, and he, he very clearly says what I want to do is investigate. And then he indicates to George, tries to indicate that he's open-minded by saying maybe it would affect it, maybe it wouldn't. I'm just saying we want to look into this. This, I think, was his, his tone was way too high. I'm, I'm surprised this worked. So I'm going to give credit to Stephanopoulos uh, in this one, he made a he made a concession that shows that he's reasonable and that he said, you can continue to look into that. And as soon as he said, you can continue to look into some of these issues, that's fine. What I'm only saying is you can't say it's stolen at this point. Really, that changed in my mind the tone of the of the entire conversation. And from that point on, shortly after that, Rand really lowers his tone and it's a lot more civil. So watching that whole thing, and I would encourage you to watch the whole thing. I did have to do some edits there more to just point out quick notes. So if you watch the whole thing, it's quite interesting and you can kind of pick apart where the conversation or how it starts off on a bad note. And then it kind of goes off and it escalates and the two kind of argue they're missing the point. Uh, one of my favorite parts though, was uh, George saying, I didn't say that. So when he says, you're calling everyone that does this a liar, he, he stops him, kind of, not very effectively, but he says, that's not what I said. And I would encourage people, if it gets heated, to, to try to slow down the conversation a little bit. And if they misunderstood you, to say, to say something like that. That isn't what I'm trying to say. Uh, a lot of times, if you if you look into the communication models, what you'll see is, you know, you have a sender and a receiver and in the middle, you have all of this, what they call noise and you communicate, it goes through noise. And basically what it means is it goes through all of the life experiences and the way and the different way people think, and they don't always hear the message in the way that you intended. And it's the speaker's job to make sure that the person hearing it, hears it how it was intended. So, George did a good job in this time when he when he repeated it back he tried to correct him and say that's not exactly what I'm saying because it is important that you get that message through correctly and then of course as I said he makes that little concession that says hey absolutely these are there are some facts we can continue to look into it and he moves on to say but every time we look into these there's not much substance or it's been dismissed in court so I really really just thought that was a kind of perfect example of mostly what not to do with a little bit of good advice that I saw, uh, ways to take that conversation down a notch. So making a small concession or just doing something that shows you're reasonable, taking a moment to say, hey, hold on a second. That's that's not what I meant by that. I would I would actually encourage that phrasing rather than that's not what I said, because sometimes that's not what I said. What you're implying is you misinterpret it depending on how you say it people can think that you're implying that they intentionally misinterpret it 
so I would say that's that's not what I meant and then try to communicate it in a different way that they'll get through overall it was a very interesting thing it was something that I wanted to bring up just because it it shows how how you start off a question and some of the words you use how they might seem innocent to you for instance they were fed a lie and how that might be inflammatory to the other person and how easy it is for you being the other person to maybe take some of your past experiences in this case the left the collective left he was talking about always saying that you're a liar if you want to bring this up he, he rand really brought this into the conversation and really brought a lot of that i feel like into that and it really evoked those strong emotions and brought the tone of this conversation way up overall i thought it was interesting um again i would encourage you to go look at the clip uh interestingly enough it's both on abc's channel and you can also find it on rand paul's channel so it's quite interesting i think both of them feel like they won that debate i would say that both sides in my mind made minor concessions and really i think that there was a lot of agreement there that if they had spent more time focusing on what they did agree on i think it would have been better so instead of saying that will you admit the lie that that it was stolen or will you just say it's not stolen in this a threshold question it might have been more interesting to say would you admit that there is no clear evidence that this election was stolen at this point i think i think now politicians being politicians he might not have said this but i think senator paul would say at this point i haven't seen any clear evidence that this election was stolen i th and then he would have went on with much the same talking points he had said i think there are minor issues and then again, I think uh, Stephanopoulos could have just said, yeah, I've, I've seen some minor issues and absolutely we can investigate them. And but what I've seen is when we investigate them, normally there's little substance to that. And I think really focusing on that commonality, they they both seem to agree that there wasn't enough clear and compelling evidence to claim that the election was stolen. And they both seem to agree that there was at least a small percentage of issues with the electoral process and they both seem to agree that some amount of investigation might be appropriate and so in this case i would probably focus more on that because instead of getting him to kind of side with you or come out and say that absolutely it's a hundred percent the fact that this was not stolen which again i am completely with him there there's absolutely no clear and compelling evidence at this point where you could claim that it was stolen from my mind i would also agree with where i think they were both finding common ground is perhaps there was some there was some things in there that we could absolutely look into and maybe we could look at addressing through some kind of legislator uh, legislative process uh, different things to restore confidence in the process so Really, I thought that was interesting. I know it took a little bit of time to dig into that, but I thought it was just that perfect example of how falling into some of those common traps, how easy it can be, and the results of it quite quickly turn into a more heated conversation with one side feeling offended, the uh, other side uh, feeling that the other person is unreasonable. Really along that, it's kind of an interesting segue into 
the next section that I wanted to talk about is there's been a couple polls here now that have that have come out that are talking about Americans distrust of the media so I really wanted to talk about that a little bit it's been a a interesting topic recently and so the first one of course is uh, that I wanted to bring up is the Gallup poll you likely have seen this if it's been going around it was it was released released uh, quite a bit ago actually a little bit before the election and it talks about uh, Americans trust in the media being pretty much at, at uh, a low although on their chart they talk about the the trust in mass media being a little bit lower in 2016 they put it at about a 32 percent as a great deal or fair amount of trust in the media in 2020 or towards the tail end of 2020 they had it at a 40 percent uh, if you look at their chart it kind of stays around the mid 50s and it dips on occasion but what's really interesting is when you go through and you look at Americans trust in the mass media by political party you see this interesting chart which if you're if you're listening to this on YouTube I'll try to put this up here you see this interesting chart where you have Republicans and Democrats and as you go through you hit about you hit about 2016 and you just see the Democrats trust in the media start to soar and it goes up to 73 percent uh, with the great deal or fair amount and you see Republicans shoot way down uh, which is interesting again this was before the election I believe and a lot of people might interpret this differently what I would encourage you to do is to look at this not as a all Republicans are conservatives don't trust in facts or are ignorant of the facts or anything like that I I really think you should look at the argument at least give it a fair shake of why many conservatives are critical of the media and we'll cover that in another poll that's a little bit goes a little bit past this one of why are conservatives so critical of the media and a lot of what you hear is they feel that a lot of it is left-leaning and they feel that a lot of times their side doesn't get covered fairly and I would encourage you to take a look and see if perhaps that might be the, the case there is uh, perhaps some evidence of that I'm not gonna go into a whole lot of it on this I I've definitely seen some of the evidence of that anecdotal evidence I'll say one thing I would encourage everyone to do is just to keep in mind that different media outlets mainstream media outlets whether they claim to or not they have a they definitely have a political bias and I would encourage you to take that into account as you as you just listen to media from that side one thing that's interesting is if you google a media bias chart you'll come up with a, a couple different ones and me and some of my family members were actually talking about this it was a slightly different chart than the one that I plan on showing here or discussing and we kind of talked about talked about the chart and how accurate we felt it was and some of the things there and there were some things I disagreed with I felt like different ones belonged in different categories I found one that I like that doesn't necessarily mean it's true because this just might be my 
my biases it there. But for the most part, I think a lot of people would agree with this. If you go to allsides.com, there's a nice uh, allsides media bias chart, and it has them grouped into kind of left-leaning or definitely left and centrist and and uh, right and more far right. And I would encourage you to view different things through this lens and try to pick some media from each of the categories or read media from the different sides. So for instance, it has, this one has in the center, it has Newsweek and NPR for their online news. That's really all they they did. They have the the BBC, they have Axios in the center, USA Today and the Wall Street Journal, just again, their online news only kind of in the center. For the most part, I agree with a lot of those. You'll see kind of both sides. From what I see, BBC also does try to take a more facts only approach. So a lot of those in my mind are pretty good. And then of course, what you'll see in the right and far right column are things like Fox News. It's actually, there's the Fox uh, News is in the kind of right leaning. And then they have the Fox News opinion as of course, far right, which I don't think is a big secret to, at least hopefully it's not a big secret to anybody listening to this. A lot of conservatives are bragging on Fox News and feeling like it's no longer no longer right-leaning anymore. I would I would definitely caution against that mentality. I definitely find it very right-leaning, even if they don't side with your side on one issue. But other things you'll see in there as right-leaning is uh, the Wall Street Journal's opinion. Uh, the Washington Times is in there. And then to the far right, you'll see things like blaze which if you follow politics and if you're a conservative you'll definitely see that their clips popping up on uh, youtube so you'll see the blaze and of course you'll see newsmax and oan which are quite far right in my opinion and then if you also look at the other side in kind of the the left leaning but not uh, not all the way to the left you'll see things like politico time CBS, Bloomberg, which is interesting, as uh, Bloomberg was a candidate for the left side himself. But The Atlantic is also in there. They actually put the AP politics on the left, whereas the normal AP is more centrist. And then far left is CNN, which some people may disagree with. Some of the charts I saw have them more just the leaning left is the far left. I will say from what I've seen of them, especially recently, I would definitely agree and put them in the far left side. Uh, you also see the Huffington Post, you see the Slate and Vox, as well as the New York Times opinion piece. Uh, New York Times news is uh, just leaning left. So I would encourage people to check that out and kind of keep that in mind as you do news. And I, I think it's important to recognize the biases that different media outlets have, as well as the ones that you have yourself. Because again, people, even if you try to be factual, you'll often find that you pay a little bit more attention to the facts on your side. Uh, again, that goes to the confirmation bias, things like that. And no matter how much you try to be perfectly center, it's very hard to be perfectly center for each individual. And different organizations just do lean one way or the other. So it's a it's a very interesting thing to look at. And like I said, it's not not everyone's gonna agree on this. You can you can debate whether or not you think CNN is left 
uh, you know, far left is just kind of the uh, just left leaning. But I think it's a good thing to keep in mind. Moving on with the media trust, though, there's a slightly more recent poll that just came out. Uh, funny enough, from Axios, that's the one that's uh, shown in the center on that chart. And the title of the article is Media Trust Hits a New Low. So what's interesting in this article is a few people have been talking about it is uh, they found that 56% of Americans agree with the statements that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or gross exaggerations. 58% think that most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public. What's interesting is, while these, all these statistics are from 2021, these were before the election, or they finalized it before the election. The, uh, when uh, Edelman, which I uh, polled Americans after the election, they found that it went down even further from the 58% on average to 57% of Democrats trust the media and only 18% of Republicans. I think it's interesting to see this erosion of trust in the media, especially mainstream media, and to me it's deserved. And perhaps later on in this podcast I'll talk about some of the times where I really think that the media, they lose focus on really the facts and trying to be fair and partial and kind of go after where I think personally, that they, they become more concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public. And you see this on some of the more talk show hosts when, when they, they talk about, what was it? Was it the, the lights of one of the cities where it looked like they were opening their arms up for Biden as he was, as he was coming, uh, during the inauguration or something like that. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's something similar to that. And it was just this kind of waxing poetic, at what they saw and it was a little bit more I believe it was an opinion segment but it was still a little bit more ideology focused instead of facts and you see it a lot with the, a lot of the articles especially recently you see a lot of these uh further more left-leaning further left-leaning ones where they really are digging into interesting things with Biden to say how amazing he is and it's quite interesting when you actually look at the percentage of Americans who trust that media, uh, you really see a, a sharp decline and a really, really sharp decline. And according to this, this, uh, the Edelman, uh, that's this Edelman survey that was again shown on Axios, uh, you really see this chart where it's hanging around a little bit above 55. It's kind of dipping around. It climbs up to almost, uh, getting close to 60% in what looks like 2019 and then takes an absolute nosedive into way down to 46% uh, right around uh, as it comes to 2021. It's just quite interesting to see how traditional media has, has really, I think, let people down. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, there was a CNN segment where they were actually talking about how they were upset that some of the conservative YouTube platforms had more viewers than they had. And they were upset about that. And they actually wanted to find ways to 
to, you know, shut those voices down. And instead of looking at media and saying, why are people going to YouTube to find their information? Instead, what they wanted to do is find ways to shut those channels down instead of really looking at it and saying, how can we actually increase our viewership or why aren't people wanting to listen to us or watch us? So it's quite interesting as the news media took that impression instead of looking at this and realizing that their ratings are falling perhaps for a reason and perhaps they've gotten off, uh, off mission a little bit. That's, that's uh, not to say that that all media is bad or that you shouldn't read any media. Again, I just think it's important to have a, to just have a critical mind to think about the different leanings of the media organization and about the different facts they're bringing in. I actually discovered a, a website, or more of a subscription service called The Factual. And what's interesting is they're using like a machine learning algorithm to go through and actually try to rank how reliable different news articles are. It's quite interesting. After the trial, I think you can get a little free thing, but it's it's paid. I'm not sure if I'll keep it past the paid one, but they they use an actual score of how reliable they think the different articles are by you know how well they're sourced, the type of language they use, things like that. It's a it's quite interesting concept, and I'm actually quite interested to explore that more and to really use the different tools that we have to try to establish kind of more of that centrist, the centrist view of the media, or at least trying to see both sides and not saying things like what we talked about before is there aren't two sides to the story. Facts don't have two sides. And again, I would say in any popular contentious issue, there's at least some facts that probably back up the other side, whether or not those facts are weighted very high or they could be absolutely outdone by other ones there's at least probably some kind of small argument to be had for that so it's quite interesting to see see the really the decline of the the trust in the media and the rise of more and more people just trying to do it and small startups that are going on youtube and trying to fill that gap Moving on past the trust in the media, one thing that the media has reported on a lot is quite a few of the executive orders that Biden has uh, signed in his first, what, week, two weeks? Uh, feels like a week. It's been about a week at the time of filming this or recording this, I should say. Uh, he's signed quite a few, uh, a lot more than some of the other presidents in their first weeks. Some of them fairly far-reaching. They've been interesting. Again, the point of this podcast is to try to see both sides. I think they're well-intentioned uh, for the most part. It's quite interesting to see the type of the type of power that the president really has with those executive orders. Uh, seeing things like raising federal minimum wage to fifteen, not federal minimum wage, excuse me, but the minimum wage for everyone under the federal government to $15 an hour. So federal employees, that's quite interesting. Uh, say what you want about that debate. I'm sure we'll be having that debate very soon, but it's interesting that the sign of the pin can do that. Uh, the budgetary implications of that across the federal government have got to be quite large. 
obviously that to me says something about Biden's principles and where he stands and how strongly he feels about that. That isn't a big secret, or I don't think that uh, him pushing for a $15 minimum wage would be a big surprise to anyone that followed his campaign. It was just interesting that that signature of the that signature on the executive order could have that far-reaching effect. I often feel that presidents take that authority of the executive uh, executive order perhaps a little farther than I think they should. But again, I'm more of a small government person, independent-minded, so many people would, many reasonable people would disagree with me. One of the other ones that I saw that I thought was quite interesting was his first executive order kind of targeted at prison reform, which is a very interesting topic to me, mostly because I haven't dug super far, super deep into that one just yet. I saw he signed that executive order requiring or basically not allowing the the federal or the federal government to renew any of the contracts for private prisons. And of course led me to a little bit of a rabbit hole as I started Googling and finding things and finding the different statistics that you could and could not find about that. Pretty good article but on the, the Washington Post, I believe it was, about some of the different statistics and just how much we really don't know and how hard it is to compare statistics between the public and private sectors when it comes to prison reform. I absolutely understand one of the biggest arguments against it is should we really be incentivizing or paying people to hold somebody in prison the the basically paying somebody per head definitely gives them an incentive to want to keep people in the prison when it comes to to corporations i could definitely see how it would be abused i thought it was interesting executive order going there um especially so early and i think that's kind of my my biggest hesitation with some of that is quite early in the first week signing so many so many executive orders, it just reminds me too much of the upper management that comes in and changes everything before they before they really get to know what's going on. Now, of course, Biden's been in, been in the government for a very long time, so he's very familiar with how it works. Of course, he's been a vice president, so he's familiar with some of that. But it's interesting to come in there and make such sweeping changes before having time to talk to the 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 parties involved and in my opinion get the get the actual picture there uh, as you kind of see there's talk about him perhaps he's already done it i haven't seen today about him reinstating some of the travel bans that that were put in under trump that he was very very widely critical of trump on and so he lifted them he talked about putting in or put in some different travel bans from different areas and is now talking about putting some of them in again that he was very critical of. It's a good example of how from the outside of the government or the outside of any situation, you can always think of a million ways to fix it until you get into that situation and you start seeing what's really happening. You start getting the advice of all of the cabinet picks and all of that stuff. And you may or may not realize that things are a little bit more complicated than they seem. And boiling things down to talking points isn't always accurate. Again, I just wanted to comment on those. I'll probably get into some more of these and I'll get into some more of the different bills that are coming up to talk about both the intention behind it, why I think it might be a good thing, and some of the arguments for a bad thing, or vice versa. 
The other thing I've been seeing this week is what I call political opportunism. Uh, a lot of it, um, a little bit from both sides. I'm seeing it a lot from the right right now, which isn't a surprise because they're kind of on the de defensive. When you lose the the executive office uh, in the House and the, the Senate, in effect, you're definitely going to go a little bit more on the defensive. Uh, of course, in the news is California reopening. There's talks now about New York reopening and lifting a lot of the lockdown restrictions. And what I see is a, a lot of conservatives really jumping on the bandwagon of, see, we told you they were only locking down because they wanted to destroy the economy so that Trump wouldn't get reelected. The opportunism of them really grabbing on to that, that narrative, they found a fact or a timing, I should say, that fits the narrative that they've been saying and really trying to use that without, in my opinion, without really bringing a lot of the information, the outside information on and really deciding on whether or not that's a good idea. One of my favorite ones is uh, one of the conservative broadcasters brought a chart up and showed like the chart as uh, coronavirus, I believe it was just cases were spiking and said, this is the point at which they locked down California and then they showed and on the chart, you know, it's, it's uh, coming down and then there's, this is the point they're at right now. And you'll notice they're actually slightly higher on these two numbers and yet they're opening the economy. So this is, this is proof that it was done for political reasons. And I thought it was interesting because the chart quite clearly showed a large trending downward of the numbers. So, whereas the other one showed a clear trending upward. So of course, if you're going to see a trend steeply increasing of more and more people that are getting sick, needing to be hospitalized, of course, you're going to want to lock the state down. And if you're seeing a trend going very steeply down, it's a lot more easier to argue that even though you might be at that same spot, if you're projected to continue to lower down, I could absolutely see using that time to reopen the reopen the state and go off. So I felt like that was a point where they really just grabbed a fact that fit the narrative and ran with it. And it's been fairly successful in conservative media, I would say. And that's one of the things that I really want people to watch out for is those facts. There is a, still a decent argument about about some hypocrisy there where you look at it and there there are some stats, I believe in California, where they're talking about there's there's there are fewer hospital beds available right now than when they lock down, things like that. I Again, I understand that, but I imagine the argument is that the vaccine is getting distributed that you know that these numbers are projected to go down however you're also seeing many states still with numbers that are pretty high new strains are now starting to show up although the vaccine is uh, as far as i'm aware quite effective against them so there's a really it's a complex environment and what i'm seeing is that political opportunism of this fact fits my narrative so i'm going to shove it in really quick and ignore all of the circumstances around. So I haven't seen a really, really good case yet that this is a proof of it fitting the narrative that the governor's only locked down so that Trump would lose the election. Now that it's over, now we can reopen. So I'm not seeing that. And that's really why I argue that it's just a convenient fact that fits a narrative that we're plugging in. 
but I am also seeing a lot of people are very, very critical of those decisions to reopen. A lot of those same people are saying that, you know, health experts, um, epidemiologists and stuff are saying, hey, now is not the time to reopen yet. We got to wait. So it's it's interesting as we watch that play out. I would just, again, I'm encouraging people to try to understand both sides. When you see that chart and just look at it and say, hey, it would make sense if I was the person, if I was in a reasonable person and I was making the decision and I saw a sharp trend downward and that we're, that if that continued, that, you know, our cases would continue down, that I would reopen. So really that's that's the show I have for you today. A lot more went on this week, so that's by no means inclusive, but I really just wanted to take that time and to just talk about these these few things, that perfect example of what we talked about in episode one and two of of really just how how to talk to each other and how not to talk to each other. And I really wanted to cover that that in my mind, the deserved drop in trust in the media, not everybody's mind, obviously not because there are, oh wow, my math is, my math is bad here. I forgot what I said. What did they say? 58% uh, was that. So 58% that didn't trust the media. So anyway, that's the show for today. Feel free if you're, if you're visiting on YouTube, leave me a comment. If you're on Anchor or any of the other platforms, feel free to use the contact button, send me a, send me a, what you thought about this. If there are any topics you want me to cover, feel free to let me know. Other than that, I wish you a great week.